Today is November 8th, 2020. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called Living in the Moment. This sermon is called Reflecting on the 2020 Election, and the speaker is Chris Romine. Enjoy. God of our breath. May, uh, may you be with us today as we explore the bounds of grace uh, and joy and togetherness. Uh, may we be pleasantly surprised uh, how far-reaching all of that is. Be in our lungs, be in our breath, and be in our smile. Amen. So if you missed last week, we were excited to have Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza with us again, uh, as they talked to us about heritage and lineage and ancestry and how we might see ourselves, each of us, as part of a much larger, uh, when I say larger, I mean wider globally, um, and much longer, uh, and when I say longer, I mean historically, so much wider, longer, larger story of the world and of creation. The way it's developed, the way love has continued on, and the way that we're all a part of it, whether we like it or not, uh, or whether we've even thought about that before. Maybe Robin saying that was the first time we're interrogating that idea. Assuredly from last week, I think that the invitation was for each of us to tap into our own identities and explore the richness and the fullness of our stories, uh, to celebrate them collectively. That's what we're trying to do here at Common Ground. And if celebration isn't the first step for some of us, maybe just healing is the first step. Perhaps identifying is the first step, spotlighting some places where our own story, our own language, our own heritage, um, our own um, history has been stolen from us uh, or silenced. Um, as each of us have been conditioned to pick up uh, someone else's narrative or something else that's, that's sort of beyond us, um, but is not us. Uh, maybe perhaps picking up a sort of assimilation uh, to fit in uh, or to belong, um, or perhaps not naming or even understanding the parts of our story that might be complex uh, when cultures by and large try to sum us up, categorize us easily, compartmentalize our identities and put us in containers that don't ever hold the fullness of our story. Um, may we break free from all of this stuff. So for those uh, at Common Ground who have immigrated to America, uh, how have we been invited by our immigrant families or perhaps if we ourselves are a first generation immigrant, how have we been invited, invited to assimilate um, active erasure of that story of travel, um, active lack of memory. For those with non-normative identities, whether Black or Asian or Latinx, uh, if we're talking about race or non-male uh, identities when it comes to gender, or something other than demonstrably straight in a world that privileges heteronormativity. Um, so if we're talking about any of this sort of diversity, uh, uh, this wide spectrum of, um, of intersections, 
uh, I think what Robin was asking of us, how have we been invited to pick up narratives um, to protect ourselves in a world that invites each of us to sacrifice at least a portion of ourselves um, and our stories in order to fit in. And even for folks who are sitting, say, dead center of normativity in society, uh, let's say the, 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 the white, straight, cis male, um, how also have these siblings been um, expected uh, to just lean into normativity, uh, to belong further, uh, without really knowing if normativity sums us up well or suits us well, uh, without really those siblings being able to ask um, who they are, uh, without diving too deeply into the beauty and complexity of their own story. Um, because if there's anything that I think we can all relate to, it's belonging. Um, it's the desire to belong. And so as Robin invited us out of a sort of, um, uh, let's say, a, 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 a sleep, a daze, and into greater awareness, this is, of course, um, community work, right? Um, so in the spirit of community work, later in this talk, we're going to be inviting some of y'all to pose some questions or reflect in the chat. And so again, like we did last week with Robin, um, towards the end of this, Chantilly and I and Sarah will be just kicking around some ideas. We don't present ourselves as authorities, more just people who are first willing to reflect um, and, and perhaps inviting you to reflect or ask a question. Um, so be mindful of that as we continue this talk today. But in short, for me, as it applies to me, Robin's invitation got me thinking a lot about myself this week. Um, because nothing else was really happening in the world. It was a boring week, so I was able to carve out a lot of space um, to just doing that on my own. Uh, obviously, I'm not serious there. Uh, of course, a lot happened this week. Uh, and at least for me, uh, all that that happened uh, robbed me of sleep. Um, it robbed me of breath, full breaths. It robbed me of joy. Perhaps a better way of putting it is I allowed it to rob me of those things and of peace. Uh, I allowed it to rob me of laughter. I haven't laughed that as hard as I've laughed the last 24 hours um, for several months. Um, and it robbed me of attention, maybe things that I would otherwise like to be paying attention to. So if you're anything like me this past week, uh, you felt some of that. Uh, and if you're not anything like me, then we should probably talk because um, I don't know what you are up to, um, but I definitely don't trust you. Uh, sorry, that was a joke. Uh, Look, my attention, my patterns, my muscles, my flesh, all of what I was this week was invested in what was happening this week. Um, and because of that, uh, following our talk with Robin last week, I gave much more attention, intentionality to their prompts. Um, truth be told, this whole week I was preparing a, a, a win for Trump, um, or at a bare minimum, a disappointment about where our country is sort of some sort of confirmation that this is, this is who we are. Uh, we, I don't know if we've taken the necessary steps or steps that I would name as sufficient um, to a just and generous world. Um, and so on Tuesday, I spoke to a friend and a mentor, a black woman who uh, was alive, witnessed, participated in the civil rights era. And it's fun, um, as I, I, it's, fun it's, it's necessary, it's prophetic as I continue to devote my learning uh, to women of color. Um, I, I continue to learn what resilience means, 
Um, I see a lot of white people writing books about resilience right now. And my first thought is that is not the identity that I want to learn resilience from or uh, joy is resistance. Um, and uh, not because it's not meaningful, but because if I'm going to talk to a woman who, uh, who walked from a space of not being able to vote or knowing that her vote didn't count and putting her body on the line uh, towards her vote counting and just towards the humanization of her skin, uh, that's the place wherein I will learn joy as resistance um, and resilience in the midst of oppression. And so I spoke to this saint, this sibling, this mentor, and uh, she said she encouraged me towards resilience and joy. Uh, before Trump was elected or not elected, whatever would come, she said, maybe you should focus this week on uh, resilience um, because your community will likely need it and you will need it the same, Chris. It seems something of an odd piece of advice, but who better to heed it from, I'd say, than someone who's lived a life marked by resilient joy in the midst of oppression, exclusion, and dehumanization. And as Common Ground continues to learn what it means to be a place that belongs fully to each other, um, I think that all we continue to come across are identities and stories where exclusion, oppression, and dehumanization has been prevalent. And so from a community, uh, we must be attentive to our own resilience and we must encourage each other and edify each other towards that. And so learning from the black community that has refused to allow itself to see itself as less than, despite a country that does everything it can historically for 400 years, to actually build a hierarchy of worth and putting more melanated skin at the bottom, wherever the bottom can be of that hierarchy. As we graft new identities into that hierarchy, there is nothing like an anti-blackness in America. And so to soak up the wisdom and the invitation to find myself and find my own joy was something that stuck with me, especially following Robin's talk. Because this environment uh, indeed must invite, or in the midst of this environment, we must indeed invite in ourselves a prophetic, necessary commitment to centering ourselves, knowing who we are, knowing what our worth is, and finding joy in that. So for this week, I wanted to just sit with myself. I did. I noticed that I was not eating um, as I desired to eat. Uh, I was not sleeping as I desired to sleep. Um, I was, I was, was not uh, imbibing uh, the way I would like to. I was not focused the way I would like to. I was just paying attention to my body. I was asking also a number of questions to myself. Um, I, I wrote them down and I'll just sort of read them. Um, who am I if Trump gets reelected? Um, that is not to say that my identity is dependent on Trump, but it's also not to lie to myself that I have not been affected in the Trump administration, not least in uh, aligning my identity and uh, finding joy and all of these things, right? It's been a labor of love and a work in progress to love myself and to find myself. So what kind of person do I want to be if the next four years are like the last four years? Because if I'm honest, I haven't always loved who I've been in response to folks like Trump the last four years. I think even bigger, what does a Trump re-election mean for Common Ground? What stories are we going to start telling and privileging 
Um, what frames will we focus on in an era marked by such division and sadness and a lot of legitimate fear? Do I even want to be part of a spiritual community? Do I even want to be called as leader or, or the one who's paid to do this work when it seems like so much is undone and becoming undone before us? What will Common Ground do for the next four years or whatever amount we have left in time should Trump be reelected? And maybe what about this city? I found myself paying closer attention. I would like to say that I'm pretty attentive to East Harlem. We eat here, we shop here, um, we walk around here, we say hi to our neighbors, we say hi to the cross guards, um, we know our neighbors, uh, we just talked our friend into moving into East Harlem. Uh, he's moving over from Harlem into East Harlem, so we're even actively stealing people away into our neighborhood. We care about what happens here. But I think questions were raised there as well that you might want to interrogate from where you are, whether it's international, a different neighborhood in the city, or somewhere else in the country. But what does it mean for this place right here um, should Trump be elected? What will I choose to advocate and align with um, here in New York City, where I call home? And more specifically, what kind of neighbor do I want to be in East Harlem? What and who will I stand with? What will I tolerate? Um, what am I missing in my vision um, as I advocate for the flourishing of all people around these few blocks? Because if Trump isn't good news for these streets, then how do I participate in the flourishing of good news here, in life, in agency, in access, in equity? And I guess the same question, folks, is true of Biden. Should Biden be elected? Biden's election doesn't necessarily mean good news in East Harlem. In fact, Biden's election might mean nothing in East Harlem at least not to the extent that a rezoning plan that the New York City Council approved for towards and for gentrification um, has an effect on our, my neighbors in East Harlem. And so what might make me a better person these next four years and how? Um, maybe it's my age, maybe it's my trade right now, or maybe um, it's that Trump was there in the seat, or maybe all of the above, but I found this moment this season that we were in, in America, this election, as deeply profound. Um, but I, I, I have found myself in moments as, uh, in this season as much as I've lost myself. As in, I've, I've sometimes looked in the mirror, reflected the next day and said, I carried a lot of stress yesterday or a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I continue to be doing this, uh, each time, especially each time I open and read the news from what happened, what was said, who was threatened? Um, what policy is about to get passed that will hurt our neighbors? So lots of questions for me were evoked, lots of reflection, lots of soul searching. Perhaps it was the week and all that was on the line, or perhaps it's just an extension of what Robin invited us as a mentor um, and, and patron saint at Common Ground to do, which is to reflect, to really take stock, to suss out and do all of this towards healing because at the end we need each other. Um, and so this was my existential musings over the last few days. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What will these next four years portend? Um, how do I want to be who I want to be? And lots of questions. And then something happened, friends, uh, that I did not expect. Um, Biden won, right? 
like Biden, as far as we know, has won the presidency. And what has completely thrown me off was the outpouring of joy, of tears, of relief, um, not least from disenfranchised communities. It was so much emotion that it made me emotional. I found myself shouting, cheering, smiling, recording videos of East Harlem just yelling in joy when Biden had been called. Uh, smiling, more breathing, the muscles in my face felt a little bit lighter. It was like something had, a fog had been lifted, albeit temporarily, uh, and uh, nevertheless, a necessary pivot in my body. Uh, I found myself noticing how much I actually needed relief, how much I actually needed this moment, how much I had hinged on this moment making things, albeit a fraction better, but nevertheless better, because I feel like lots of things have been incurred in a loss the last couple of years. I have watched my friends who are organizers get paid far less than any portfolio manager gets paid uh, or anyone who's got power and influence in this country and folks organizing on the ground towards better nutrition, safer streets, a better economy. And I've just watched these folks more or less remain invisible, but do the good work that God is doing in our local streets. And I was very sad to think that of all the work on the ground, the day-to-day -day grinding, the unsexy work of trying to fight for just a few blocks around you, if that was actually going to pay off, or if we would have effectively a monster fighting against those very efforts at the highest seat of power. And it wasn't until we elected someone not named Donald Trump that I realized just how much I really needed this moment, just how actually scared I was. And then I've had this moment since then. Um, and I won't, I will not, I, this is not a Debbie Downer. So don't be prepared. Don't, don't, don't hear it as such. But as I reflected all of this week on the resilience of a place like Common Ground or my work as a, as a human being, what Donald Trump ha has done for me is made me realize how important local, contextual, specific work done in community really is. Because Donald Trump or Joe Biden or anyone else is not fixing my problems. It is true that the Donald Trump administration can make my problems much worse and can make local work much harder. And for that end, I'm glad that Donald Trump is gone. That said, I found myself, as I found myself paying attention to who I am and who I want to be, <laughs> that Joe Biden doesn't concentrate those efforts in me or spur on sort of any more motivation than Chris needs to get from Chris or Chris's partner, Jill, or Common Ground. The work is done with each other. The work is done specifically and contextually and locally and committedly, right? The work is done in a very specific, targeted, um, intentional way. Um, and I, I celebrate that Donald Trump is gone, um, but I also keep this in mind. I, yesterday I was with some friends um, and one of them said, Donald Trump being uh, pulled out of office is like uh, the horror movie when 
the monster gets vanquished, but you see that there's still 20, 30 minutes left in the movie. And you realize it's actually not over yet. We've still got something coming down the pike. Like we still have work to do. This is a celebration. Let's hug it out. Let's smile. Let's laugh more. Let's continue to cry. But also this is just giving us a better environment to do the work that we'll hopefully spend the rest of our lives committed towards, right? And that's making a better future, making a better earth, making a better neighborhood. The work is not done. This is just the beginning. As I find myself this week, I find that I really needed a laugh. I really needed a smile. And I'll say this, friends, um, I am not income insecure. Um, it is not many spaces that I have a lack of access to, if any. It is not often I am, uh, sometimes I'm profiled, but most of the time uh, I'm ethnically ambiguous enough and close enough to white where people actually, I'm, I'm not too profiled by the police. Uh, not even in comparison uh, to darker, more melanated skin. Um, and yet, I myself, with all my access, with a social location that this entire world, but not least America, privileges, a social location that has been elected into office, the highest seat of office, since the birth of our nation here, with all that access, I too was hurting. I too needed joy. I too needed a laugh. I, ne I too needed some relief from this God awful administration. And if there's anything that I've, that's broken me the last couple days, is just my friends who are people of color, who are queer, who are trans, who are DACA and dreamers waiting to be honored by an America that they've given so much to. So all the more that these folks needed to just cry and breathe and take a breath. If we're to be a just, generous, expansive spiritual community, where albeit uh, we uh, rely on the heritage um, of the Christian story, then all the more we need to locate ourselves with the folks who find joy right now. And we need to realize that we cannot allow that joy to be temporary. Not in us and not in our siblings who need a better world as much as our children and as much as we do now. May we celebrate this pivot, but may we also, also know that much work needs to be done. And may we at Common Ground maybe work towards that work. Uh, maybe we take more deliberate steps um, towards building a future that we believe in. Uh, with that, I'll say amen. And actually, I would love, Chantilly, for you to reflect um, on something that I said or just your own experience. Um, I invite you into the conversation. Y'all, if you want to just process a question and or make a comment in the chat, uh, let's just continue this conversation for another 15 minutes and get some of us talking. Uh, Carlos named that the energy was infect, uh, infectious. Sarah Chung said, uh, spent the election night in Aaron Law's Zoom room, and it was exactly what you needed. Uh, April, April says, the work is not done. Amen. Carlos, this is not mission accomplished. And Paul, you say it's catharsis. I say amen to that as well. Um, but Chantilly, would you like to process some of your, your experience or what's on your mind? Yeah, thanks, Chris. 
Yeah, when I was thinking about, um, you know, coming into church today and, um, and, and I'm just, again, just grateful for the, the music and the prayers that set up this conversation, um, because it's like, we are being sort of, I feel this, I, I said to um, Chris and Sarah earlier, I feel this collective momentum and energy um, that yes, it's infectious. And, and, and this momentum is the reflection of so many people on the ground who have been organizing for people to vote, for people to participate. Um, I put up Stacey Abrams in um, the, you know, what or who are you grateful for in the earlier, um, because she lost the governor's election two years ago and she's been hustling in Georgia. Um, I think she registered like 800,000 Georgians to, to turn out the vote. Um, and so I just, I think of um, all of the black women um, who are, are literally um, like, like organizing people for their lives, you know? And, and, it, and it, I feel it, like I feel it in my bones and I feel it in my spirit, you know, that um, this is what I, I perceive when Jesus was sort of marching into Jerusalem and all of these people were like saying, you know, Jesus, Jesus is here, but it's really always the folks at the margins who are celebrating Jesus's entry. Um, it's always the people who are on the undersides of power who are organizing for their lives. Um, and thank you, Rob. Yeah, and an example of bottom-up affecting top-down politics is both and. Um, how do we make change? Um, and so I'm just, I'm feeling this collective energy and momentum and then my my sort of other side of my my brain is like how are we gonna keep that momentum and how can we sustain it and not fall asleep um we have literally awakened 30 and under voters so if that's you right like how have we been more engaged in the political process and for me that was when um in 2008 when um it was young people, right? Young people, young people of color who got Obama elected, right? One of the huge demographics that were awakened to our sort of political agency. And I was one of them in 2008. And I remember marching through 125th Street in Harlem with drums and trumpets and, and like the, the brass, like people were out there and with trombones. And I just, I felt the energy of this sort of new tide. And then something happened in those eight years. I think we fell back asleep or something. I'm, I'll speak for myself. Like it was like, we, we, like this, like almost as if Obama was this Messiah figure. Um, and I just remember Black Lives Matter, you know, during the Obama administration waking me up back again that this ha we have to continue um, the struggle in in any space that you find yourself in um, and and I love that Chris was pointing to just the local right the local um, relationships and and what I like to call sort of the local ecosystem human right and na natural ecosystems of where we are and in the ways that we can practice this ethic of togetherness, the ethic of, of um, um, that folks on the margins are, are literally organizing to live and how are we in whatever positions we're in gonna, gonna support that and give more energy and resources funding um, into that. And so I've just been really, again, like I feel energized and mobilized and I'm also like, I don't wanna fall asleep again. 
um, and I, I want to um, and I want to continue this conversation of how we're going to show up um, and continue um, this movement for for Black lives, for for goodness, um, for togetherness, and so that's kind of how I'm 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 today. Um, I'm curious if any of that is is resonating. Um, and so Stephen, um, Stephen uh, mentioned, you know, in, uh, Chris encapsulated everything he's been feeling and internalizing for the last few days. I feel like the steel bands of background anxiety and dread fell off yesterday, and the work is starting. I'm so happy I can finally it can finally begin. Yeah. Yes, Sarah, Sarah, do you want to share your experience of catharsis to some degree that I think it might mirror Stevens? Yeah, yeah, I feel that really strongly, Stephen, that I, I didn't know how much I had been hanging on to until I woke up to fireworks and cheering yesterday and checked, checked the map and just broke down weeping and uh, I think that I uh, I wasn't processing just how much I'd been holding on to in these past four years and how much of an emotional toll that they had on me until I realized like we can start to move past this and uh, you know yesterday I just spent most of the day like periodically crying and I think that was my body's way of saying like you can you can let go a little bit now there's a picture that i think uh got me good today got me laughing but um it was in my facebook feed and uh i'm gonna share it for you right now but someone turned out uh reverend tabitha of new day up in uh, uh in the Bronx, but uh, if y'all can't read this, it says the kingdom is is right revolution it, uh, now. Uh, onto the black feminist, anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, pro-immigrant, immigrant, gay, trans agenda. Um, all all power to the to the people. Um, I think that it's this what I've been moved what I saw as a difference and Chantilly, I'd be interested in your read too on this, what I've seen in a difference since turning out in 2015 um, versus now is when we started marching in George Floyd, Breonna Taylor stuff, the signs that were there were not just black lives matter, but trans lives matter. Black women need to be celebrated. Uh, capitalism is dangerous. Gentrification is violence. The, these sorts of signs that were not, um, um, that maybe if someone showed up to a protest for the first time, they're thinking, I'm here for Breonna Taylor. But, but the sort of intersectional naming of, of, of powers was, was beautiful this past uh, year. And I think that just points to the work that we need to continue. Like, this is a win right now. Um, and we are all crying tears of catharsis. And also, if we know anything about how power moves, it tends to shift into unexpected places. Like, guys, did we think Trump would be here in 2014? No. So, like, we, we were not prepared for this. And so a great diligence and attentiveness to continuing the, the work of equity is to not get uh, dismayed, to be better prepared. Um, better prepared. 
As April said, I'm such a pessimist, it was an anxious mess. I was not able to actually believe this was real until Friday morning when GA and PA were actually blue. Yesterday, I did see it feel such a huge wave of relief, not because Biden won, but because Trump lost. I felt guilty that I'm not, not more excited about Biden, though I do rejoice in the amazing feat that is Harris as the VP. And I'm still terrified that too many people see this as a win, as the end game. And I, I think that's amen, amen um, uh, April. And people don't know how, just how much and how hard this continued work is gonna be. This is just the beginning. And yes, I agree with Stephen that I'm grateful for the work, that the work can finally begin. So many conflicting thoughts and feelings. Well said. Well said. Chantilly, do you wanna um, pick it back up? Yeah. I'm reading some of the things in the, like I just responded to Carlos who said, you know, Biden said the word transgender and that this is huge. Um, and the right, the cynical part is like, you know, he's pandering and yet the optimist hopes and prays he means that he values trans people. Um, and I responded, I was like, well, once you say it now, we hold you to it, you know, like this is part of why movements work with political pressure, um, right? Like it's not only building our power, but it's also, yeah. Um, and I'll just read what um, Christian and Nick wrote um, from Stacey Abrams, our time is now, because I learned long ago that winning doesn't always mean you get the prize. Sometimes you get progress and that counts. Um, what a way to turn anguish into action and inspiration. The more important work is ahead of us. Yes. Thank you all. Um, I wanted just to kind of pick up where Chris said, and I'm going to make this last, um, and I'll this be my last sort of reflection about um, that while people were marching on the street against police brutality, um, to me, the movement for Black Lives um, is, is about like recognizing that it's not just talking about a police state, but that we are in midst of structures. And I think that's what Chris was that you're saying people are noticing the intersections of how, right, capitalism makes our war, our war, like the how much we're warring and militaristic country, um, that literally that is our, our largest and most expensive exports, right, um, is our manufacture of war. Um, and that that is interconnected, right, to capitalism and capitalism is what funds our police departments and our de police departments, right, off of racism and classism, right, starts like policing more black and brown communities and we're seeing all of these intersections or the way I like to talk about it in my education work is how oppression is interlocking in our systems, right. Education, the school to prison pipeline and education is also connected to the way that if you're in a poor brown and black community, we're having less property taxes fund our schools. But instead what's getting funded is our police departments, right? Who then funnel that with our schools and then lock up more brown and black, black folks. So, so the movement for black lives is not just, right? Like Chris was saying, like about police brutality. It's really about noticing the systems that uphold police brutality and protect um, the systems. And so, so, so we're, we're, I think, and this is connected to, for me as a person of faith, it's connected to not only acknowledging and seeing the systems, but then finding myself, where am I in the system? And how do I live out my faith in a way that's like, you know, like Pastor Tabitha, who is a good friend of mine, is on the street saying, let's, let's start talking about these systems and creating 
political agendas into dismantling them. And I'm from the, I'm from the let's dismantle them from wherever we are. So you may not be someone who wants to protest on streets, but you're in a school system or you're in a medical system, right? Or you're, you're in a legal system. We find ourselves in the systems. We're all in the systems. And so how are we going to move forward in it with this consciousness? Um, and I think that's to me is what's so energizing is that we're seeing the connections and now we're not just saying, I'm not just going to protest. Um, I'm actually going to maneuver and I'm going to leverage the power I have where I am. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll make a final point, um, Chantilly, because I think that, that, that leads us into our closing. And um, that leads us into our closing. And it also uh, it, 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 it shows us what work we're going to have to do um, going forward. So friends, uh, Jesus stepped into a moment when Rome was occupying um, Judea, and uh, there were folks who were completely married to the Roman economic system, like King, King Herod, um, who benefited from Rome being there, despite his own people being completely destroyed and, and, um, and oppressed. And then there were people who, um, this is not an either or, it's not two sides of, this, of, a, of a spectrum. There's just other people who were zealots who are actually active, violent resistance um, to Rome. Part of what got Jesus crucified was that in this moment of chaos where Rome, where the folks in Judea were quite scared of what Judeans would do in response to Rome being there, Jesus was seen as a seditionist and problematic, right? And crucified despite a nonviolent approach. Here's what I would say. Jesus... Jesus looked at Caesar and us paying taxes to Caesar as really not what Jesus was about, right? And Jesus looked at the zealots as not really what Jesus was about. I think that Jesus, not deferentially, but sort of noted that that's part of the human experience, that we're going to fall into certain camps. And I'll just say this, as a spiritual community that carries a heritage in the Jesus uh, uh, um, tradition, whether you align with it or not, let us be very careful of our allegiances going forward. Um, let us not be co-opted by the left or the D Democratic Party's uh, uh, D Democratic Party's agenda any more than we watched Christians get stolen away into the religious right in the 70s and 80s. And now we find ourselves where we are now. Um, what Jesus showed us was that his agenda does not perfectly align um, with the temple, nor does it align with Rome, nor does it align with the zealots, but actually a lot of Jesus's crew was a combination of some folks who have come from each of those places. That is not to flatten the, as if to say all of those things are equal, but I think it was, e it was, it was what we learned from Jesus is that the human, the individual can be easily claimed by a bigger narrative and claimed by a bigger force and that thereby get co-opted. And I pray through Robin's work with us and through our own conversation that we do not get co-opted into someone else's agenda. I think our invitation every single week, as I paid attention to self this week, was let me, let my identity not get co-opted by another agenda, by any sort of normativity, right? whether cultural or literally in an organization. And I would just say, pay attention 
to the powers that ask us to align with them um, when it actually might not make sense based on the local ethic that Chantilly's talking about. And when I say local, I mean the people who are literally in our midst, we're trying to do the work together as a people. Let us not be co-opted or taken over by someone else's agenda because I think we're doing the small, deliberate, long game work to figure out exactly what that means to be a just, generous, inclusive, celebratory place. Uh, that's all I got, Chantilly. I'm sure there's so much more, Chris. Um, and everyone who's in the chat, thanks just for contributing to this uh, sort of community reflection. Um, I appreciate you all and just I just want to give a shout out to Austin for for sharing what he shared in the chat about Texas and yeah and like just show each other love you know this is just how we're all kind of knit together and it's beautiful to see it um and um shout out to all the millennials moving <laughs> to Arizona and Texas um all right let's transition let's move into our time of communion um and I really I feel like so much has already been shared um but I I just want to say you know um why we come to the table. Um, and for today, I feel like I'm coming to the table um, because there's just goodness here um, and that there's grace here at the table. And it's not, it's not because of our own doing or it's not because we've earned this grace or, that, or this goodness or that um, this grace or goodness is not um, something we're entitled to even. Um, but it's, it's literally here. Um, for us in abundance and and I feel like the the just go back to the Jesus story and how Jesus seemed to gather him gather around people who would be unlikely allies um, and people who would have had very different and had very different political agendas about what the revolution was going to be and look like um, and and so I, I, I'm thinking about how Jesus brought all of those folks together and how they experience goodness at the table and they experience a lot of grace as we are all stumbling, trying to find our way um, to the kingdom, you know. And so, so when we taste our communion elements or we drink from it today, um, I know that we've been talking about um, with the assumption that we all voted blue or something, you know. Um, but like this table isn't partisan either. Um, and I, I wanna just acknowledge that and, but that we are, we are in this practice being woven together um, into goodness and into grace. And we're gonna need a lot of goodness and grace as we move forward. So, um, so this is a time for us to get our elements. Um, I'm gonna play uh, just a song that's been on my spirit. Uh, about a quote that was taken from Martin Luther King, um, a friend of Chris um, named Delante wrote it. And um, we are, I'm gonna be sharing it with you all as you get your elements and we'll come back together here in a few minutes. Drive out the night, only light 
Drive out. 